Well, hey, we're going to continue our teaching uh, this quarter uh, that we're calling Every Student uh, Every Student Goes, Every Student Gives, Every Student Prays, and Every Student Welcomes. And this is Chi Alpha's mission statement for missions, really. Uh, if you were here with us last week, the traveling team came and they shared about every student going, and, and Mason taught about how the whole Bible is pointing to all nations worshiping King Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, we're seeing the whole Bible pointing to all nations worshiping King Jesus. And and Mason finished his message by saying there's really two ways that we're going to see the Great Commission fulfilled, and it's by going and it's by sending. And so tonight I get to talk about how we're going to send mission missionaries, and we're going to talk about how every student gives. So with that, I'm just going to welcome up our Bible pastors. Come on up to the front, and I will uh, pray for our night tonight. Jesus, I just pray that you would uh, speak tonight through me, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and our, uh, our minds to, Jesus, what you want to say about every student giving, Lord, and, and what you say about missions and how we can support missions, Lord God. So I pray that you would just work tonight, and we just invite you here, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, you guys know the drill. If you don't have a Bible tonight, we'd love for you to have one, so please raise your hand, and our Bible pastors would love to get you a Bible. Uh, But before we jump into our message tonight, I want to ask, is anybody a sports fan in the room tonight? Come on. Hey, I'm a huge sports fan, specifically uh, a Seahawks fan. I love the Seattle Seahawks. If you want to hear some, like, horror stories of how intensely passionate I was about the Seahawks, you can talk to Taylor Griffin, who discipled me through my, like, lows of lows when I would not go to fall retreat because I would not miss a Seahawks game. Not good, not holy, not holy at all. Jesus worked to me. But hey, I still love my team. Do you guys know what it was that got me super excited to first start rooting for the Seahawks? Do you know what that is? It wasn't Gino. No, it was, it was like 10 years ago, my dad took me to a Seahawks home game. It was the fall of 2012, and the Seahawks were hosting the lowly New York Jets. And I showed up, and there were 65,000 fans screaming at the top of their lungs, rooting for the Seattle Seahawks. If you don't know anything about football, when, when you're at home, you want to create as much noise as possible because it makes the opposing team have more of a challenge to score points. So if the stadium is super loud, it means the quarterback can't communicate with his offensive line, can't communicate with the running back, can't communicate with the wide receivers, and it makes it harder for them to compete. If you know anything about sports, there's this idea of home court advantage or home field advantage where you have the advantage in a matchup because you're playing at home. The Seahawks have been known as having one of the best home field advantages ever since they opened uh, CenturyLink Field. Their noise is crazy. Also, the environment is really challenging on teams that that come from playing in, uh, in domes or the weather is crazy. It's windy. It's wet. It's really hard for them to compete. Tonight, we're going to take a look at a story in Scripture when Jesus enters one of the darkest places imaginable, where the enemies of God have the ultimate home field advantage. So if you would turn with me, we're going to take a look at Mark chapter 5. Mark is the second book in the New Testament. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5, and we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 15. Mark chapter 5, 1 through 15. They went across the lake to a region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. 
No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When Jesus saw him from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they, came to, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Can I make some observations about the story tonight? If you take a look in a, kind of the context and the culture at the time, you would know that for the Jewish disciples, this would have been an extremely uncomfortable situation for them. They would have been so uncomfortable and terrified at what was going on. Why is that? Well, in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament law, there were a lot of things in the Old Testament Jewish law that were labeled unclean. Uh, th these are basically things that were like not set apart for the glory of God. They were uh, basically like not holy or, or not seen as holy. And so there were certain animals that were labeled unclean. There were certain people who were seen as unclean because they were unwilling to worship God. Uh, and there was also locations and places that, that represented a place of like, um, yeah, it was like a, just a place that was unclean and not seen as like morally pure. And so in our story, for the Jewish disciples, they're stumbling across three things that to them would have made them extremely uncomfortable. The first is the location of where they are. So as, they, as you read the story, we see that they're in a graveyard, which is basically a symbol of death. And it's in a, a resembling the like fall of creation. So they would have been extremely uncomfortable there. Wouldn't want to be there. And, and as well, around the area, we have pigs that are herding or that are feeding around the area. And to the Jewish disciples, this would have been very uncomfortable because they were not eating or they would never sacrifice pigs. They were rarely around pigs. And then also the people of the Gerasenes, they were very hostile to the Jews. So the people, the surrounding area, and the location would have made the disciples all very, very uncomfortable. I want you to imagine like a place that you would never go alone. Maybe there's a place on campus that if you're a girl, you're like, I'm never going there alone. Like, I'm not going to that place. For me, it's like the Fred Meyer parking lot at like any like crazy rush hour of getting food. Okay, if you lived in Ellensburg long enough, you know it's true. That place is like the unclean place of Ellensburg. I've been like, trucks are like running me over, and I'm like, dude, stop trying to hit me, bro. I'm just trying to get out of here with my food. I just want a football game. Anyways, I'm, I'm joking, but. The locals are like, yes, we know. So not only do we have this whole situation going on, but now we have a man possessed by demons that comes and falls before Jesus. And Jesus asks him, who are you? And he says, we are a legion. That word legion, it was a Roman military term for 6,000 Roman soldiers. This man was possessed not by one demon, but by thousands of demons. If you read again in the story, you see he was unchainable, unguardable. There's nothing that any humans can do. He's basically, he's living in the tombs. He's living with corpses. He's cutting himself. He's howling at night. There's nothing that any human being can do to help this man. 
This is an example of darkness doing its greatest work in someone. There's very few stories that I read in the New Testament where I see somebody so far gone. If you guys uh, like basketball, I, I have to use this reference because March Madness just ended. It did just end, right? Okay, so if you like basketball, uh, this is for you. I don't like basketball, but this is for you. So I want you to imagine a situation, March Madness, and we're going to like the final round, and the undefeated team, Legion, comes out of the locker room, and 6,000 demons pour out of the locker room, and they come into the home court. The crowd is roaring. They're at home court advantage, home field advantage, and then the away team comes out. Boo. You know, they're booing, and it's Jesus and the disciples. And let's be honest, Jesus is the only starter because the disciples just kind of hurry to the bench and they're, they're kind of trembling and terrified. <laughs> and you're looking at this situation like, what, 6,000, what? Like, what? There's no way this is going to work. And then Jesus like takes off his sweatshirt and he's got his jersey on, all authority in heaven and on earth. Come on. And I can just imagine the demons like, ah, oh, dang it. Like, it's over. There's no way we can win now. And I, I know this is a silly example, but what's my point? That's not my point. My point is that there's no place too dark for Jesus to be victorious. There is no place too dark for Jesus to be victorious. The man possessed by a legion of demons, 6,000, come and fall on their knees in submission to the King of glory. They beg for mercy at the presence of the one who has significantly more authority than them. To the disciples, this was a, an area extremely uncomfortable, a situation deemed unreachable. And yet Jesus shows up on the scene and what happens? What's a place for you that you would say, this, this is unreachable? Is there a place that, that would be so uncomfortable for you to go to, let alone are you going to bring Jesus along with you? A place that's too dark, it's too far gone, there's no way that Jesus can do any work here. Maybe you think of the streets of Seattle, think of the streets of Portland where you'd say, I, I just seem, they just seem too far gone. What about a country that you know is hostile to Christianity? What about countries like North Korea and Iraq that are just uncomfortable to talk about because of our rich history? What about the 1040 window that Mason talked about where there's 3.25 billion people who have no access, little to no access to the gospel? Countries like India, Egypt, China, Japan, Saudi Arabia. I want to ask, do you, do you believe that there's no place too dark for Jesus to be victorious? Do you believe that? Because I promise you, if you believe that, it'll impact your giving. Let's continue looking at our story. We're going to read the next two uh, verses in Mark chapter 5. We'll just read 16 and 17 and see what happens next in our story. Verse 16 starts like this. says, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Do you ever read this story and wonder, like, that's an interesting ending. Why, why are they so afraid and they excuse me, plead with Jesus to leave. Like it says, the people plead, please leave the region. Obviously, it's because their pigs are gone, and it's not, they're not our pigs, so it doesn't hurt as much. But they didn't, like 2,000 pigs just stormed into the lake, they gone. Jesus 
has just gotten done making his disciples super uncomfortable, right? The location where they are, they're perceived enemies, and a man unchainable, possessed with a legion of demons, makes them extremely uncomfortable. Yet Jesus is not done making people uncomfortable. His attention is now going to turn from the disciples to now the townspeople. Because the townspeople are about to experience the most uncomfortable part of seeing the kingdom of God advance. They're about to witness the cost of their livelihood. It was going to cost them their livelihood. To, to us, we look at a herd of pigs like, well, not really big of a deal. Yeah, that's like their livelihood. That was like food. That was like their day job. That was like their finances, meals, and they're gone. Can I tell you the truth about God tonight? Obedience to him has a cost. Obedience to Jesus it has a cost. It's a great cost, but it has a cost. In Mark chapter 8, 34 through 38, Jesus says these words that, man, really just grabbed my attention. 34 says, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus is very clear. Discipleship has a cost. Discipleship costs us everything. For the townspeople, a miracle for a demon-possessed man, it costs him a herd of pigs. That's true. It costs him a herd of pigs. What was their response to the cost? Please leave. Please go. Too much of a cost. There was a cost to this man's freedom, and they arrive on the scene. They see a man who's literally un, like unchainable, somebody who's like, there's this person so far gone. Darkness has done such a work. There's no chance. There's no hope. There's no way. And then they see him sitting before Jesus and his right man, and they're like, where are the pigs? Do you, do you mind like bringing the demons back into the man so that we can have our pigs back? They were more focused on the cost of the victory than the glory of the victory. They were more focused on the cost of the victory than the glory of the victory. Even though this man is standing before me in his right mind, it's not worth the pigs. Too much. Too much of an ask. I don't want to do it. Please leave. And the victory was impeded because they cared more about the cost. I'm going to say it again. The victory was impeded because they cared more about the cost. What would have happened if instead they would have seen the glory of a man in his right mind, saved before Jesus, and they said, please come into our town and say more. Please come into our town and, and heal my mom. <laughs> please come to town and heal this other person who's possessed by demons. Please, please come with us. Think of how many more people could have been impacted. And instead they say, the cost is too great, please leave. Can I ask you tonight, how do you respond to Jesus when obedience costs you? How do you respond? Do you look at the cost and say that, that Lord is just too much of a cost for, for that person. I, I, can't, I can't give that. I don't want to give up my pigs. 
Are you willing to, to lose this life so that others can find life in Jesus? Are you willing to lose this life, lose livelihood the way that we want it to go so that others can find life in Christ? I think a lot of the times in, in Kyle, when we talk about the cost of discipleship, a lot of the times we talk about you know, our time and our energy because if you don't know, you have a lot of time and a lot of energy in college. Even if you don't feel it, you really do. I think we spend a lot of time, but we rarely we talk about the financial cost to follow Jesus. We're on a limited budget in college. We're maybe not even working yet. We're on a more limited budget. We don't really talk about Jesus' lordship over our bank account. We feel like we don't even have a bank account, really. But I want to ask you tonight, are you willing to let obedience to Jesus impact your bank account? How you spend your money. The financial decisions you make. Is Jesus lord over your finances? Because, guys, it's one thing to know there's no place too dark for Jesus to be victorious. It's another thing to say, I'm willing to pay the cost. I'm willing to pay the cost. I heard an incredible story uh, recently about some Chi Alpha graduates who decided to give a year and pray about a lifetime. And uh, they graduated college as a group of six of them, and they went off to Egypt to serve for a year. And after a year praying about their future, two decided that we're going to go back and we're going we're to seriously commit to a lifetime of missions. But there was a third team member that wanted to go, but there was one big problem for her. She had too much financial debt, too much student debt. She's staring down like $28,500 in student debt and saying it just... I, my heart is to go, I want to go, but I, I, just, I just can't go because of this. The other team members get together, huddle, they're praying, and they say, we've got a plan. So they go and find their team member at the, the debrief meeting, and they say, guess what? We have, a, we have a proposal. If you're willing to go, the three of us will pay off your student debt. She's like, heck yeah, I'm going. <laughs> Wouldn't you? In less than two years, three Chi Alpha graduates who didn't have a job before they committed to that, they paid off $29,000 in student debt in two years. Do you think that they understood the cost? What would it look like for you to personally accept the cost of the mission of God? What would that look like for you? Would you be willing to let the cost of missions impact not only your time, not only energy, but you say, yeah, it'll impact my finances? Would you believe that it's going to be from every student going, every student giving, every student praying, every student welcoming, that we see all nations worship Jesus? Would you be willing to say, yeah, I'm, I'm a part of that every student giving? Are you willing to let Jesus be Lord of your finances now? If you're willing, I'd love to share uh, two ways for you to personally embrace the cost of missions tonight. The first is uh, I want to encourage you to give first. And I want to ask a question with that. Would you let your standard of giving impact your standard of living? Would you let how much you give impact how much you live versus, versus the opposite where your living dictates how much you give? So you'll, you'll budget one day. Hopefully you budget now. But uh, I, I learned to budget when I married my wife because she's better at that than me. But when I'm looking at my budget, is, 
is, am I looking at like, okay, I want, I love YouTube Premium. So I'm like, YouTube Premium's up here. And uh, okay, so I'm looking at like Tithe and then YouTube Premium. And then I'm like Netflix and all these other things. And then I'm like, I really want this new car. So I'm going to like, my car payment is here. And then, okay, I, I love clothes. So I'm going to like add my clothes here, my clothes. Okay, and then I've got X left for missions. Or would you flip it and say, with a generous heart, Lord, I'm going to give this amount to missions after my tithe. And then my living will be impacted by how much I give. Would you flip it on its head? Would you be un-American and say, I'm going to let my giving impact my standard of living? Meredith told me an incredible story of a student who graduated from the University of Virginia, and and he was staring down a six-figure salary, and it wasn't like a low number six-figure. It was like a very nice six-figure salary, staring down a luxury lifestyle, whatever, really whatever home he wanted, whatever car he wanted, looking at a great life. Um, Financially, he was set for life, but he decided that he was not going to live off of that income. He was going to live as minimally as possible so that he could give as much in order to serve as many missionaries as possible. He definitely did not live on a six-figure salary. He lived on a five-figure salary and not a high five-figure salary. Instead of looking at the newest Tesla model, the newest Toyota model, I love Toyota, looking at the newest like car model, the newest iPhone upgrade, the newest clothes, the newest expensive house possible, he said, I'll keep my cheap Maxima. I'll buy whatever clothes necessary, and I'll live with others so that I can give thousands upon thousands to missions. What would it look like for you to give first? The second thing I want to encourage us in is to give faithfully. Not only are we going to give first, we're going to let our standard of giving impact our standard of living, but would you give faithfully? Can I encourage you tonight and challenge you, if you're following Jesus tonight, would you make it a goal to give mission, give to Give to missions faithfully your entire life. And maybe it could start tonight. I want to be really clear just as, as we talk about giving and I know and tithe is a word and missions. So when I'm talking about giving, I'm saying this is like on top of your tithe. So on top of the 10% that we give to the kingdom of God, this is actually, I'm giving generously on top of that. So I just want to be super clear. Like when I'm talking about giving, I'm saying this is what we're giving on top of not only our 10% that we're giving to Jesus. Would you give faithfully to missions? And it can start tonight. I, I remember what it's like to have no budget. I remember what it's like to say, Lord, I probably have five bucks to give to missions. And Jesus goes, hallelujah. Because Jesus doesn't care about how much you give. He cares about your heart tonight. He cares more about you giving whatever you can right now versus saying, well, I don't really have that much to give, so I won't give. Can I just be honest? It gets harder to give the more money you make. It's actually easier to give $5 a month to missions if you have no salary than when you have to give like $400 or $500. And God puts that on your heart and you're like, this feels weightier giving $500 than it does five. Jesus cares about your heart more than the amount you give. Would you say, I'm just going to take this seriously, that every student is called to give, and I'm going to see what I can do. Because it's more about the heart than it is about how much we can give. As we conclude tonight, worship team, you guys can come on up. Uh, I want to give you just like a helpful vision of missions and what missions look like. And and I I heard this and read an article about it too. Um, And it's this image of a well. And missions is this idea of a deep well. And as we, we look down into the well, we see it's dark. We don't know how far it goes. But we hear the cries of people lost in the darkness. There's darkness all around. We hear their cries. We don't know how far it goes. And we decide there's really two roles for how we're going to save these people. 
we're having two roles. The first is that we need to get people hooked up to the rope, and we need to send them down and to send them down into the darkness. We need volunteers to go. And on top of that, we need people who are going to hold the rope as they go. There's two extremely important roles in the rescue. There's people that are saying, I'm willing to go, tie me up on the rope, descend me into the darkness. And then there's a second, just as valuable role of people who are saying, hold, and holding the rope. I believe there's two Christians, two types of Christians. There's descenders into the darkness and there's rope holders. You're either descending into the darkness or you're holding the rope. Every student goes. Every student gives. Giving is what supports the mission. It's foundational to the mission. We need people to hold the rope. Are you willing to hold the rope? I know you guys get bombarded a lot with opportunities, so I just wanted to give you like a screenshot um, or an opportunity for you guys to take a photo of some giving opportunities that I would highly recommend or staff would highly recommend for you. Uh, the first is just if you want to support any of our world missionaries, we would love to have you join us. We've, we've committed um, a couple hundred dollars a month to give to our world missionaries. If you would love to just join us in giving to our missionaries, we've got a QR code for you to, to just snap onto and, and just give and say, what can I do? Uh, the second is we really just believe in uh, Feed One. Feed One is this awesome, awesome group of people who are giving food to children who are in poverty and families that are in poverty and have no food, and then they share the gospel with them. And the third is one that Cassidy actually showed me, and it's called the Church-Centric Bible Translation, where we have missionaries who are working to translate the Bible into all languages. There's teams that are saying, where, where, <laughs> what people group doesn't have access to the gospel? What people don't have access to the word of God? Let's find a way to translate the Bible into their language and get it to them. There's a QR code for you to support there too. And as I come to close, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pray to close. I'm gonna have some applications up behind me for you guys to journal through. Just wanna encourage you to, to talk to Jesus tonight and see what can I do? What's, where's my heart at? Is Jesus Lord of my finances? And I'm just gonna give you guys some space to do that as we pray. So Lord, I just, I just thank you, Jesus, that we get to hold the rope and we get to descend into the darkness, Jesus, that, that it is your like, Lord, it's your will that there's not just descenders into the darkness, but there's, there's those that are holding the rope as people go down into the depths of darkness. And Jesus, that, that Lord, you are our Lord over every inch of darkness, Jesus, that there's literally no place on earth that is too dark for you. And we know, Lord, from Revelation, we know that there will be a day where every tribe, tongue, nation worship you, Jesus, and it is finished. It will be finished, Jesus. So I just pray, God, that you just show us like what it looks like tonight to, to, to partner with you, what it looks like for us tonight to be students who give and to say, Jesus, open up my heart to giving to missions. So Lord, I pray that you just be with us as we, as we journal process tonight, and God, we just thank you that you, um, you just love the world so much, Lord, and we just want to partner with your heart in Jesus' name. Amen.